Welcome to Creating the Good with AARP Illinois, a show with inspiring people who we hope will inspire you. And now, your hosts, Bob Gallo and Rosanna Marquez. Hi, I am Bob Gallo, State Director of AARP Illinois. I'm here with my co-host, Rosanna Marquez, State President of AARP Illinois. We're excited to be here with you as we launch our weekly radio show, Creating the Good with AARP Illinois. We'll be talking with some fascinating folks who are making a big difference in their local communities. Our guest today is restaurant owner, Amy Morton, who grew up working alongside her father, Arnie Morton, founder of Morton Steakhouse in Chicago. She started her first restaurant, Mirador in Chicago's Old Town back in the 1990s, and I ate there and had a wonderful meal, and is currently the owner of Found Kitchen and Social House and the Barn Steakhouse in Evanston, as well as Stop Island Social in Aurora. She's also a longtime supporter of Connections for the Homeless, a nonprofit group bringing essential services to people facing homelessness and housing insecurity. During this coronavirus pandemic, Amy and the Found team have been cooking breakfast seven days a week for 200 people facing homelessness. She continues to find ways to contribute to the local community of Evanston and beyond. Amy, welcome to Creating the Good with AARP Illinois. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, And so let me start by asking you this, you know, tell us about your work with Connections for the Homeless during this coronavirus pandemic, how you have partnered and how you partnered with them. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Um, Connections for the Homeless is an absolutely extraordinary uh, organization. They've been around for many, many years. It's almost an oxymoron to um, consider the what is the biggest and best homeless organization on the North Shore when there's so much wealth and privilege. And um, yet there are many shelters and different organizations. Connections is based in Evanston and it has clients from Indiana, you know, the very, very south, south side of Chicago, all the way up north. And um, I've done a lot of different things for connections. I've been on the board. So my favorite thing is really being in touch with people and connected to people. And uh, I, for many years, cooked breakfast at Inspiration Cafe. And I had really missed that contact. And so I started cooking breakfast, actually, at Hilda's Place, which is the shelter that is housed in the Lake Street Church in Evanston. And um, I guess the rest they say is history. Well, that was my dad's line. Um, Literally, I was sitting up in one of the booths in the Barn Steakhouse, one of my places in Evanston, thinking, how are we going to get rid of all of this fresh product that we had already purchased days, days after the shutdown in the middle of March. And I got a phone call from Connections and they said, hi, we love that you do breakfast. Would it be possible if you know you could do it tomorrow? And I thought, oh, well, it's not on Monday, but of course. And then they said, 
it was over a hundred people. And I thought, whoa, wait a second. I'm not sure I understand. And that conversation morphed into it being seven days a week and grew from just over a hundred to 194. Actually, it was 194 people. We're currently feeding 178. So for the first three months, we did breakfast seven days a week. And it went from me going into the shelter and cooking for 20 people to us taking on the cooking in the restaurant and then having volunteers distribute it. And the first volunteers distributing it were, you know, my children, my husband, and then connections started having other people deliver it. Though it was and continues to be a terrific experience. We're now doing three mornings and we do one dinner as well. And we are cooking all of the meals at uh, Found Kitchen. And it, it of course feels incredible. You know, Connections has done an amazing job. It is the Hilda's Place can, um, a shelter is just men currently when they lost their funding three or four or five years back, it became just men as they kind of scaled back. And they now putting people up in hotels for their safety and to help them quarantine. There's families, there's women, there's of course men. And even, even more, really more extraordinary is the intersection and support the way things truly, truly should be mm. between the population in need, the organization, for me, for example, the restaurant, and the state and or national government, because they instantly found these ways of funding where they were able, as time went on, to help support us you know, three, four, five dollars a meal to for us to bring on staff. So we at this time when we were shut down were then able to bring on staff and they were able to come in and work and they felt better. And same with the hotels. They knew the hotels were empty, they needed business. And so they were able to at, you know, a, a certain rate rent these rooms, so to speak, to give them a little bit of cash flow and to create a safe space for these people. So it's um, it's been a great opportunity. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah what a great community story. Um, so you've been committed to helping the homeless throughout your career, hiring people who are marginalized, battling homelessness to work in your restaurants. Why is that important to you? Well, you know, I think I was born with this. I um, have been incredibly fortunate in my life and have, you know, I was born into privilege of which I felt ashamed by for a long, long time. Um, at university, I studied third world um, housing issues. I was an economic anthropology major and that's when I really first got into housing issues and felt without a doubt, housing is not a privilege. Housing is a right. And there are a huge number of people throughout the world that 
do not have a safe place or any place to lay their head at night. So it really started years and years ago. Um, in college, I worked for the Metropolitan Housing and Planning Council doing research mm. for homelessness. I worked for the city of Chicago planning department under Lynn Hollander, researching housing issues in Chicago and homelessness. And it just, it has just been something that moved me that I felt if I could make a little bit of a difference in, I, I needed to. When I opened Found, I took, I had taken about 15 years off to have my girls. And when I really realized I was going to go back to work and that I was going to miss and be away from my three girls so much of the time going back to work, which I needed and wanted to do to make a financial contribution to our family. I knew I needed to do more than serve great food. And as amazing as restaurants are and how uh, proud I am to be in the industry of hospitality, especially now when people have, well, before Corona hit, yeah. so little free time, um, I still wanted to do something more. And there is an English chef uh, many people know him as the Naked Chef. His name's Jamie Oliver. Mm -hmm. And he had created a concept called 13. And his first restaurant, 13, every person in the kitchen, and there were 13 people, came out of homelessness. The restaurant didn't work because they didn't have any leaders. And so I took that model and even though I felt a little disappointed that I wasn't going to have that many people that I could help right off the bat, you know, I, I realized that if it was just one person at a time, which is very much, you know, the model of connections for the homeless in any organization, that it's a place to start. And restaurants, not every business is one that you can really create a career for yourself without any skills, any previous skills. So someone can start as a dishwasher and yes, coming from a marginalized population, honestly, just getting there every day is a huge feat, you mm. know, with all of their own pre-existing issues that they may have. So if they can get there, and they can get their job done, I can promise you within a very short time, chef is gonna need them to wash lettuce or is gonna teach them how to cut tomatoes. And all of a sudden they're a prep cook. And again, as long as they keep showing up and communicating from a prep cook, you can be garmanger and make salads to a line cook. And there's a lot of possibility for growth and, um, so it's just been a natural progression for me. Uh, you know, you, you talked, you did talk about, um, in a sense, why it's important that your work has a social mission. Um, but what, what would you say is is the main reason that you're in the business of feeding people in the first place? <laughs> oh, well, it's in my blood. Uh. <laughs> it is. It's definitely in my blood. I would. Um, I mean, I'm fourth generation restaurateur. 
My dad was in the business. My grandfather was in the business. My brothers are in the business. I'm jumping around. And um, my great-grandfather was known as the neighborhood pharmacist. But I think we all realize that he was selling the good stuff in the back room. And uh, so I, I, didn't, I didn't really believe that it was in the blood for a really long time. And I have not just come to believe that, but I really know it. And I am so lucky to have grown up with my dad and work side by side with him. And, you know, when, when I was little, go downtown, when he was building his first restaurant, I was 10 and would sweep out the empty space under construction every Saturday morning. And I got a chance to, to be involved with every aspect. And even though I was going to be an actor or an actress, mm -hmm. and I really had a passion for community organizing, which, you know, the, um, the homeless studies really kind of dovetailed with. No matter where I was, I would find myself with a napkin on a bar drawing out a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And um, my first time around, uh, Rosanna, when you said you knew Mirador, my first restaurant, mm -hmm. I, I felt that it chose me. I really felt that that uh, industry chose me and it was just what I knew how to do. Though this time around, I know that I chose it and it has made all the difference. And although, and I'll pat myself on the back a little bit, I know I'm great at it and I love it. And I feel that the idea of hospitality is my nature. This time around, I really could embrace how great it was to make people feel good. Though again, not just the people coming in the front door, but really taking time with all of the people that we work with on our team to have the same mission of doing good. Mm -hmm. And we do it not only from hiring people from marginalized populations, um, it's how we purchase things, it's where we purchase them from, it's what we do with our waste. I mean, we, we try so hard to be waste free. And um, although I, I, I got that passion and that fire from my dad, I am proud of where, you know, my path has taken me in that to be able to blend all the stuff that's important. What a wonderful story. Mm -hmm. Wonderful story. So, so you've talked a little bit about already about what it was like to have to switch from adapt from closing your restaurants suddenly to doing what you're doing now. But talk a little bit more about what was going through your mind as you were trying to adapt very quickly and, and what you've learned, what lessons oh. you've learned from these more recent experiences. Well, it's been nutty, right? And, um, and there is so much so many people are still, especially with losing a lot of the unemployment that's, you know, kicked in now or is over with now that August 1st has happened. So many people without fearing how they're going to pay their bills, how they're going to feed their families, especially in my industry where we have such a huge uh, Latin slash primarily Mexican population working with us. And so many people who are legal, 
still didn't even want to apply for unemployment just because they were afraid that somebody was going to call them out on something that might have happened a long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, so what happened for me was I knew it was coming. I had a place in Aurora called Stolp Island Social that's adjacent to uh, actually the most highly subscribed to theater in the state. And once they closed, I knew we were next. So I closed Stolp Island in advance of the shutdown. And literally three days later, we had the shutdown. The first thing, and honestly, the only thing at first that you know I could get my head around is what am I going to do with my team? You know that relied on me, and it was an incredibly difficult decision. There was no other option, but out of about 115 people, we were only able to keep four, and we had to furlough everyone. Um, learning just the ins and outs of that was the difference between furloughing, between laid off, et cetera, et cetera. When we closed, I believe everybody thought this was going to be a couple weeks. So once we got through with that and communicating with everyone and coaching them how to get unemployment and working through the fear and the disappointment and the shock, the next thing was, what are we going to do with all the product? Restaurants buy their product up front. When we buy any type of alcohol, wine, beer, that is COD. So everything that we had in house was already paid for. And then we had all of our perishable product that, you know, it found were farm to table. So we either pay the farmers when they deliver it, or we try to, you know, payment is usually about 10 days. With larger companies, it's about 30. Every bit of perishable goods we had, we knew we'd already paid for, or would have to pay for. So all I could think of is, oh, how, how do we use them? How can we at least, you know, get our money back for them? So the Barn Steakhouse, um, I have two places in Evanston, found, which is farm to table, the Barn Steakhouse, which is a steakhouse. So we immediately decided to have the Barn Steakhouse purchase all the inventory from the other two restaurants. And we went curbside immediately. The Barn is a tiny restaurant. It's very manageable, very easy to run. And we just started making up menu items and it was amazing. I mean, the creativity, the on the spot thinking, once, once we got our head around what's going on and I had personally communicated with our whole team and, and that I knew everyone knew I was doing the most I could do to make sure that they would have a job to come back to when this was done. Weekly, I mean, I felt like I was creating a new restaurant. And for a restaurant owner slash operator, the best part of owning a restaurant is creating the concept in many ways. Um, so every every day was a new idea. You know, first we had connections. And as I'd be rolling the breakfast wraps, I'd get to listen to my, you know, my Ram Das, And it was very spiritual. And I felt like I was so lucky to have this quiet time. And then we started the curbside at the barn and we got to bring a few, few of our team back. And all I wanted to do was get rid of the product. And I kept saying, do not buy anything because all we want to do is get rid of it. And two weeks later, Chef Luis came to me and he said, we're out of product. And I thought, oh my God, 
well, then let's buy something. And so then we started buying things. And it felt like even in that small way, we were we were helping out. We were we were getting a delivery that somebody needed to make and and buying a product that you know hopefully wasn't gonna go to waste. And people really started loving the curbside and Nobody had ever thought that either of these restaurants in Evanston would ever do takeout. We have actually tried to do the delivery and nobody was ever interested. And then, and then I thought, well, what are we going to do with Found Kitchen? And Chef Debbie Gold and I, who actually was my second chef, Rosanna, at Mirador, Mirador <laughs> um, Debbie and I sat down and said, well, who is found? You know, who is found? Because... I can't just do things for the sake of it. What we did at the barn grew out of a need and a necessity, and it was perfect. But I didn't want Found Kitchen to fall away. And Debbie and I talked, and I just, people said, do this, do that, just do to go, and it just didn't feel right. So we thought about who Found is, and, and Found is about community. Found is farm to table. So we reached out to our farmers and our ranchers and said, what do you guys need to sell? We're going to put a pantry together. So that's when we started the found pantry, which we're continuing. We're continuing all this because we need to. And we said, what do you want to get rid of? We're going to start a pantry. We're going to put it online. We're going to let people order it. We're going to do a produce box and we'll do your steaks and we'll do this and we'll do that. And, and then I started thinking about all the other products we had in the restaurants you know, from our toilet paper, which was really funny because all of the orders at the Barnes Takeout, we threw in a roll of toilet paper and people loved it. Yeah, this is going to be nobody can even get toilet paper, which seems like a really long time ago, doesn't it? Yeah. God. And um, from taper candles to tampons to beautiful sugar cubes. And we repackaged all of our coffee by the pound and we ground it for people or, or sold it by the bean. And, um, and then we started playing around with our new menu because Debbie, we were going to create a new menu. And so we started doing family meals and it is, and we started a juice bar at found, which has really been great. It's called three sisters. I'm doing it with my three daughters. We love to do, <laughs> we just don't make the time. The last juice bar closed in Evanston. And we thought, hmm. you know, we got a lot of carrot tops. We got a lot of beet tops. So we start a little juice bar, which we're also still doing. And obviously we, we had George Floyd and um, all of my girls, though one particularly is deeply, deeply um, involved in, in the movement, as this young generation calls it, of Black Lives Matter. And so we decided all of our profits would go to Black Lives Matter from the juice bar because, because we could and, and because we need to. And so every one of these things not only was personally exciting and challenging and fun to create, though making it matter bringing somebody back to work. And even though our cooks at Found in the Barn Steakhouse were coming in at five in the morning with me or 4.30 first to cook the breakfasts, those were four more hours they weren't getting. And yeah. so we started bringing people back to work. 
we started connecting again with the farmers who, as everybody read, I mean, at all these commodity farms all over the country, they were just bulldozing huge piles of produce and burning it. And we were trying to make good with that. And, and then with what we could do with the juice bar. So knock on wood, I feel super lucky and, um, and privileged. And it's, it's been quite a time. And I just, I, I just want to keep plugging along and, and the best part yeah. is how amazing people are now that we're open again. The gratitude, the kindness, the thoughtfulness. Our guests have always been wonderful. It's nothing like, it's, it's never been anything like this. And, you know, sitting on the curb of a street with a bus passing by, it wasn't always the most ideal table. And now people are saying, thank you so much. This is perfect. So, um, so we're trying really hard. It's, it's a battle. We will at minimum, at minimum lose 60% of our restaurants in this country by the end of the year. And I think maybe a solid 10% more over the next. We don't know how long it's going to go on. We don't know if we're going to roll back to phase three in Illinois. And, you know, I just, I mean, I, I think those of us that understand, I didn't realize I had it, that wearing a mask saves lives, makes a difference. It's what we do for our community and our friends and our families that we just got to do it. And we'll eventually get out of this, but we don't know when. It's a journey and you've mm -hmm. been on it. Yeah. So that's the scoop. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess we're going to, we, we need to take a short break here and look forward to continuing our conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Creating the Good with AARP Illinois. Today is your day to make a difference. AARP is here in Illinois working hard to make it an even better place to live, work, and play. You can help us too. Get involved as an AARP volunteer. Help advocate for the issues that matter in our state and community, which could improve the quality of life for yourself and the people around you. For more information on ways you can get involved in your local community, visit aarp.org il. Looking for free ways to stay active, healthy, and informed without leaving home? Here in Illinois, you can access virtual fitness classes, cooking demos, caregiving coffee chats, and even gallery tours. Join us this August 18th through the 19th for a virtual Senior Lifestyle Expo, which will bring town halls, workshops, and virtual exhibit spaces right to your home. Find out all the ways you can connect with your community at aarp.org slash near you. And we're back. You're listening to Creating the Good with AARP Illinois. I'm Bob Gallo, State Director for AARP Illinois, and we're here with my co-host, Rosanna Marquez, State President of AARP Illinois. We're speaking with entrepreneur and community activist, Amy Morton. Amy, you are constantly innovating, whether it's through designing new restaurant concepts and menus or completely rethinking the restaurant experience during a pandemic. Where does that innovative spirit come from? Ah, where does that innovative spirit come from? 
Uh, well, that's another thing I, I gotta give, I gotta give it to my dad. I mean, I think that's in the genes too. And, um, Richard Melman, who is a great friend of my dad's and who has been I, an amazing mentor of mine also, mm-hmm. told me a story once about my dad. He said, yeah, you know, your dad called me up one morning. It was probably eight, nine o'clock. And he said, Richard, I got an idea. You know that space that wasn't working out? What do you think about this? And he said, okay, I got to go. And then he calls me back an hour later and he said, wait, Richard, you know, how about this? And my dad was known as an idea a minute guy. Um, he thrived on it. And it's, you know, it's creative. I feel like it's how my mind works. And even though I'm going to consider going back to the stage one day when I finish this restaurant <laughs> career, um, I really couldn't imagine a a career, a way to spend my time that I get to pivot, which you know that that term right now has become very on vogue yeah. regularly, and um, in a way that could could enhance anything else that I'm doing. Um, I. You know, I lived with my dad. I saw him do it. And I also, I just think it's in my nature. Um, I thrive on it. I love it. Yeah. So, so speaking of your dad um, and for our listeners, Amy Morton's father was Arnie Morton, founder of Morton's Steakhouse, well-known um, establishment. What, what's, your, what's your favorite memory of working alongside your dad in this business? <sighs> oh, I have so many. Um <laughs> Uh, my favorite memory is when we worked together in Highland Park at his place called Arnie's North, where he built this spectacular looking restaurant. Some people thought it looked like a whorehouse is purple <laughs> and red and naked ladies. He wanted to create a place because he didn't think people wanted to get dressed up and go to the city. He thought they'd like to get dressed up and stay in town. Anyway, we were open for Sunday brunch and I worked with him every Sunday for years. And we come in the back door and there would be these huge bags of bagels from Kaufman's. They were literally as tall as I was, you know, 250 bagels a bag. We carry them in. We put them on the dish station. We'd each reach in for a raisin bagel. Mm -hmm. They'd still be warm. And we honestly, we just would bite right into that bagel. Didn't need anything on it. It was so delicious. And I still do that on a regular basis. And I always think about him. Um, but then after we'd get the restaurant set, he'd, he'd look at the time and he'd say, time to open the door, aim. It's showtime. (laughs) (laughs) And, and he was a very, very humble, um, no small talk in him, man. When that door opened though, and he had guests coming in the door he was on stage and uh i'd say that's that's probably my favorite memory uh, yeah. I, I i i can see your dad's personality and where it wound up <laughs> <laughs> indeed so 
what did your father's commitment to social good look like? You know, you certainly talked about about your own, but talk talk a little bit about what his social commitment looked like, and then yeah, and how my, you build on that. My dad, um, my dad was super super cool, and of course ahead of his time. There was a trade school called Washburn that was down on the South side Mm -hmm. from the early seventies on, he became involved. And, um, yes, my dad, you know, did the Morton steakhouses. He did a bunch of other restaurants. He also was the founder of taste of Chicago and Chicago fest. And he had already been working with the Washburn school and he would go there and he talked to the kids and he'd invite them back to the restaurant and he'd give them, you know, he'd sort of, show them and lay out the the process of, you know, where the food comes from to how it gets made to the experience you get sitting at a table in a fine dining restaurant. And um, he loved working with these kids. And that is who he hired every single year we did a booth at Chicago Fest and Taste of Chicago. Those were their summer jobs. And a lot of those kids went into the restaurant business. A lot of those kids worked in his restaurants. And he he just, you know, he loved mentoring them. I think he just, he would see it, you know, every now and then there's that person that just gets it. It's just so instantaneous. And I I just think he loved that. And he would really connect with them. And I think it made him feel great thinking that not only could he introduce somebody else to a, a profession, a way of paying the rent, a career, that was something that he loved, though nudging on that person who might not have realized it in themselves. So. so it was kind of kind of seamless for him to do that, and mm. um, it mm. seems like. and. You know, it's a good time to segue and ask maybe for some advice from you. So as AARP Illinois is is hosting the show, you know, certainly at a unique time in history, doing great change in our daily lives, you know, as an innovator yourself and coming from a family of innovators, you know, what advice would you give to people who are thinking about what's next for them and how to make their own meaningful contributions? First of all, I would say, trust yourself. Hmm. Trust yourself, follow your heart and your passion because nothing, nothing is too small. And why, why would we consider anything too big? I think it is so enlivening and frees the spirit so much whether we are a little kid picking up trash in our neighborhood, if we are, you know, midway through our career, entering retirement or long past, the idea of getting up every day and feel like we're making a difference changes everything. And and it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. And I just feel... Um, so many times I've talked to people and they say, oh, I couldn't really do that. Mm. And there really is a way. And I love what I heard you say. Um, the website 
that I don't know if it's through AARP where you can connect with different organizations based on your zip code just to say what your interests are to volunteer. Um, I actually wanted to start an organization like this myself because I think the biggest reason people don't do things is because they, they don't know how to create it. And it sounds like you guys have an amazing way for people to reach out and find a way to, and to connect with organizations or other people that, that actually need things and or um, just get some ideas, you know, whether it's especially with Zoom schooling, just <laughs> the kids online, yeah. you know, and all of the kids that are home all day long that that need some some new blood. So, I mean, I'm not full of that much wisdom except to say there's so much that needs to be done and life feels so good when we do it. Yeah. Well, I heard a lot of wisdom there. So <laughs> thank you. Thank yeah. you. So, so let's say folks hear this and observe what you do and, and, and take your inspiration. What do you hope that inspires them to do? <sighs> Feel like the answer is yes. You know, and that yes, we really can, we can participate, we can make a difference and it might just be next door. So I hope the takeaway is be open-minded, take a risk and you might be surprised in how you feel. Yeah, great, thanks. And Excellent. you know, and on that note, you know, it's time for us to go. Uh, Amy, what a pleasure it's been to talk with you today. And, you know, thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing with us the great work that you're doing. Keep it up and we wish you all the best. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. And I hope you'll say that website again that people can go on and volunteer. You bet we I'm, will. Yes, yes, we, <laughs> we will. I <laughs> thank promise. you so much. I promise. And so that was Amy Morton, owner of several restaurants who during this pandemic has been helping to feed some 200 people facing homelessness in Illinois. Yep, and she's been doing it every single day of the week. So thank you again, Amy. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning into Creating the Good with AARP Illinois, a brand new show where every week we'll talk with those who are making a difference in their community. Yeah, thanks, Rosamma. And we look forward to being with everyone uh, next week. Yes, and so for more information on ways that you too can get involved in your local community, visit createthegood.org. And if you would like to learn more about AARP, visit aarp.org forward slash IL. Thank you. The opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station or network. We hope you'll tune in again next week for Creating the Good with AARP Illinois.